My name's Kimo Lai, and I work in Gateway South Recovery Program. Growing up, I felt abandoned by God and people. And to cope with that, I began to freeze my feelings and isolate myself from others. And doing this at the time felt really safe, but what it caused was a severe depression, high anxiety, and suicidal tendencies. My oldest sister was sick her entire life, and she suffered constantly. When she died, I was so angry with God for letting her suffer her entire life. I felt so lost and hopeless and abandoned by God, and I was gonna end my life. And that was the very moment that God reached in and he saved me. And he said the words that I have better plans for you. And that's what gave me hope. But as I argued with God over this, he began to show me that I was the one who was truly suffering. Through her pain, she really lived a life of, of pure joy outside of that. And um, that's not the life that I was living. But God was guiding me into um, a greater path forward in that, in a path that would provide more healing than uh, these safeguards that I had put in place. When I had the opportunity to join one of Gateway's HEAL programs, I didn't know what to expect. But what I found was a loving community and a loving father. And what I learned there allowed me to tear down this wall of isolation and to open my feelings. And now I'm so grateful to be able to walk alongside so many others and seeing the fruits of the Spirit in their life and in my life. Hey, can we thank Kimo for sharing his story with us? <clears throat> you know, if you have ever struggled with suicidal ideation, or if that's something that's even affecting you now, I want you to know there's hope and there's help. Our prayer team can be a first step, but I, I just want you to know, in knowing chemo and knowing his story and seeing how he went from that space to where he's now helping people who are in that space, it's, it's remarkable. And we're in a new season. It doesn't feel like it quite yet, but we're in a new season. School is back. How many of you are excited? School is back. That's with the parents. That was not the kids. That was the parents. Yeah, it's hard to believe. Next week is actually our jump day, our back-to-school day. You can jump next door at altitude for free. And we have hot dogs. I encourage you to go in that order, altitude, then the hot dogs. Uh, but it's going to be a great Sunday as we just celebrate this new season. A new season gives us a chance to start afresh. We can get rid of some of the bad habits or old habits and, and start something new. And, and so in this series, we're, we're looking at kind of going back to the basics. Not because we don't necessarily understand the basics, but it's good to remember where we should be and have been and build from there. So today's big idea is we're looking at this idea of building character. The big idea is that as we follow Jesus, character isn't the best that we can do, but rather God's best in us and through us. 
See, we live in a world full of character, and we yearn for character. We want people that we can trust, people that we can believe. And we want to become those kind of people. But often character is lacking in our leaders, in our politicians, among our friends, even in our homes. But when you think of a person of character, who comes to mind? Do you think of someone who has a level of humility, of selflessness? Someone who seems to put the needs of others above their own? Or maybe when it comes to character, images come to your mind, maybe like this, like Miss Goody Two Shoes. Maybe this is what you think of. Someone who has character. Looks like an Amish pilgrim farmer who has birds like a raven on her shoulder. Or, or maybe when you think of person of character, this is what you think of. Captain America, right? Or the teacher's pet. Maybe you've been called a teacher's pet. Or the moral compass. Now, none of these may be compelling or sexy, except for some of you, maybe you think that's Captain America, right? But for some of us, character can be repelling. Too, because we have this misunderstanding that to be a person of character is boring. That to color outside the lines, that's not the kind of person you want to be. But we live in a time in history where becoming a person of character is critical. Becoming someone that others can trust is what the world needs. Now, I want you to think about your life for a moment. How many hours do you spend at work? Maybe 40 hours, maybe 45, maybe 50 hours, maybe more than that. And then I want you to hear this. It's kind of remarkable. The average American spends four and a half hours a day on entertainment. That could be Netflix. It could be the news. It could be listening to music. It could be podcasts. could be social media. And by the way, this is not a conspiracy theory. This is actually real. Social media companies have designed their programs to keep you on longer. The longer you stay on, the more ads you see. So it actually is prone to make you addicted. So if you add it up, the average American, let's say, just works 40 hours a week and is being entertained 31 hours a week. That's 71 hours a week. And what if the... Only time during the week that you're developing your character, you're trying to become the person that God created you to be, is on Sunday. And let's say you come every single week. Let's just pretend that you come every single week. That's just one hour versus 71 hours. What do you think has more influence and power in your life? See, more than likely... These hours, thousands of hours we spend at work, these thousands of dollars that we spend on entertainment, these forces have the power to shape our character in untold ways. We become more disciples of the world than we become disciples of Jesus. But I want us to reframe this a little bit. Because, see, I believe that God is with us wherever we go. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you can actually allow him and even ask God to help you grow in character while you're working. While you're watching a film, while you're driving, while you're listening to a podcast, maybe it even changes the kind of podcast you listen to. So we can go beyond what we think would require of us to grow in character to instead see this as a journey of formation, that God is inviting you into an adventure that 
can lead to genuine change. So in this series, as Peter mentioned, we're looking at what the kids are learning, what we hope every child will learn as part of our ministry here on Sundays. And one of those things is that they'll discover how to build character. We want our kids to understand the bigness of God and the smallness of our humanity and to respond in childlike wonder to the grand invitation that God has for all of us. And so when it comes to building character, in our little description, it says that sometimes kids have a difficult time distinguishing between feelings and choices. Let's be honest. It's not just the kids that have that problem, is it? It's our world that struggles between distinguishing between feelings and choices. See, building character is a journey of formation, and sometimes that means actually choosing to do things we don't feel like doing because that's actually what's better for us. See, when it comes to feelings and choices, we can all struggle in different ways. And for us to become people of godly character, we have to learn how to navigate these choices in life with wisdom. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, We all with unveiled faces are reflecting the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Let me me explain that kind of in more common day language. If character is a journey of formation, then it is focused on becoming shaped to become more like Jesus. See, if you've said, I want to follow Jesus, if at one point in your life you've asked Jesus to forgive you, to lead you, then you are being invited to be transformed, to become more like him. And the world needs us to become more like him, to bring more love and peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. But in order to do that, we have to be aware of some of the blind spots, some of the parts of our life that might be keeping us from that. And we need to be aware of what we're being formed into I mean, are we more generous, more humble, more loving than we were at the beginning of the summer? Or are we more anxious, more stressed, more controlling? See, becoming more like Jesus requires courage to see our reality and name the lies in our lives. There's two lies I want us to talk about. First, to acknowledge the lie of following your heart. This is what the world says. We should just follow your heart. But, you know, following your heart is like trusting your gut, which is not always the best idea, especially after you had those fries with queso and a milkshake right before bed, right? See, instead of following our hearts, God invites us, calls us to lead our hearts because Jeremiah 17 says it this way, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? See, there are times in my life when I look backwards that that I felt something to be true. And I look back and realize how off I was, how glad I was that I didn't go that direction. Or I felt something and, and acted on it and I experienced negative consequences that I wished I would have avoided. We're going to look at the story of a, a man named David. He was a king. 
who is in tune with his feelings and desires and emotions. And that can be a healthy thing. But when we let our feelings and desires and emotions be what decides the choices in front of us, it can actually lead to disaster. King David, king of Israel, 1,000 years before Jesus, so 3,000 years ago, he was known as a man after God's heart, yet in this story we discover he must have gotten lazy or maybe had come to believe that he had already arrived. Notice what happens in 2 Samuel 11. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and their Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. Now, we're not going to read through the entire story, but this is just the tip of the iceberg. See, it all begins when David abdicates his leadership. He should have been with his army, but he stayed back. And then he's looking over the city. Which, by the way, in that culture, you took baths on the roof. He could have been looking for a woman taking a bath. And then the king asked for a married woman to come to his quarters. This woman could not say no to the king. She gets pregnant. He tries to cover it up, and he actually sends her husband to the front line so that he might be killed. After trying to convince him to come back from the war, to be with his wife, but he was a man of character, unwilling to sleep in his own home when the rest of the army was out fighting. David allowed evil to come into his home because he decided to make decisions based on what he felt See, when we entertain our basest desires, it leads to broken families, to forgotten children, to an entire world reeling from the consequences of our carelessness. But there's another side, another lie that we can go down that seems like it should help us avoid that kind of thing. But this is lie number two. This is following the rules. Now, there's nothing wrong with rules. In fact, guidelines can point us towards flourishing. But see, the Ten Commandments are a great example of how we need rules and guidelines in our life. But I want to give you a quick example. Do you know the third commandment? It says, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. Now, I grew up thinking that meant you're not allowed to say God or Jesus in the midst of a cuss word. And you probably shouldn't do that, but it actually has something much deeper in mind. You shouldn't take on the name of God, the name of Jesus, unless you are actually going to represent him well. See, there are people in our world who follow the rules, like the Pharisees, the religious leaders. In the story of the New Testament, 
whose hearts were hardened. See, they looked down on everyone else. They saw everyone else as sinners and that they deserved God's blessing because they were following the rules. Or in our day and age, you can have cultural Christians who feel like they are following the rules and everyone else is not, and so they do not represent Jesus well. That's why, unfortunately, in our culture, too many times Christians are known for being hypocrites, for being judgmental, for being overly political, rather than actually representing Jesus well. And I can think about in my own life, when I first began following Jesus, I was about 17 years old, and I was really taking my faith seriously. And it didn't take me long to realize my parents weren't as Christian as I was. <laughs> you see, I, they had been telling me all the things to do, and then all of a sudden, I was going to church more than them, and I was praying more than them, and I was reading the Bible more than them, and suddenly, I was better than them. I remember one time, I don't even know what we were talking about. I just remember my mom's response to my rudeness, asking me, have you even read the Bible today? Because apparently I was a different person when I read the Bible than when I wasn't. When I was actually letting God guide me and change me, they used to refer to me as being holier than thou. Have you ever heard that phrase? Maybe you've used that phrase about someone, or maybe it's been used about you. See, when you follow the rules... And you begin to think that you've got this all figured out. You've actually stumbled across the fact that you still have a long way to go. See, the Ten Commandments say, do not murder. But Jesus said, you can't even have anger in your heart towards another person. The Ten Commandments say, do not commit adultery. But Jesus says, you shouldn't even have lust in your heart towards another person. See, Jesus calls us to a level of godliness that we cannot pull off without his help. It's a transformation that begins on the inside and demonstrated in how we live on the outside. See, if you allow making choices based on how you feel or pride at looking down on others, in both cases, you're missing what God's inviting us to. See, building our character is becoming more like him and in doing so, we become more fully human, more fully the way we were created to be. It's not about building character by mustering up the moral strength on our own. Instead, as we follow Jesus, character isn't the best that we can do, but rather God's best in us and through us. Have you allowed God's best to flow in and through you? See, here's the path towards becoming the person that God has created you to be. Here's the path to experience a transformation in your character. It's by responding in full surrender. And not just once, and forever that will work, but every day and throughout the day, it's surrendering your pride, surrendering your feelings, surrendering and allowing God to guide us. See, God's love for us is so real that it was demonstrated in the fact that he came and walked among us and lived a perfect life, teaching with authority, loving those that were seen as unlovable, and then willingly giving his life, dying on the cross, taking upon himself the sins of humanity, and yet, even though it killed him, he did not remain in the grave. On the third day, he rose from the dead. 
See, and when we say, yes, I need to be forgiven, Jesus, I need you to lead me and guide me and forgive me, then his spirit comes to live within us. But to stay connected to his spirit, allowing him to guide us means we're surrendering throughout the day. Not just defaulting into doing what we feel, not just assuming we got it all figured out. But every day throughout the day saying, God, I am here, all of me, here I am. And maybe you're here and you're not really sure yet about Jesus. Let me just encourage you to to have an open mind. Maybe to even become curious about the possibility that there is a God who loves you. That he did walk among us. One of the easiest experiments is just to start reading through the Gospel of John. An eyewitness and just praying, God, if you're real, show me who you are. When I was in the Northwest, we lived in Seattle for about four years. And I tried this with a friend of mine. I asked her, would you just pray, God, if you're real, show me who you are, and then read through the Gospel of John. It's just 21 chapters. I gave her a Bible. She didn't have one, she told me. A week later, I asked her, how was the week? And she said, I know God is real. It's like, wow, what happened? She said, I'd never owned a Bible, and now this week, three people gave me a Bible. I'm praying, God, are you real? And someone at work gives me a Bible. I'm praying, God, are you real? My mom's like, hey, did you, I never gave you this. This is your grandma's Bible. Here. Eventually, I got to officiate the, her wedding a few years later, and her and her husband became missionaries. A woman who wasn't sure there was a God, doubted there was a God, but when she started praying, God, are you real? She was amazed that he revealed himself. See, Jesus is inviting you to trust him. To surrender in every area of your life. Now, what that might mean is this week, it might mean acknowledging a mistake to someone who might use your confession against you. It might mean forgiving someone who's not asking for forgiveness. It might mean befriending someone in need. It might, be, might mean releasing bitterness or praying for those who frustrate you. Or getting up a little bit early, making time with God a priority. Part of why we do pray first at the beginning of the year and in August is is this is an opportunity for you to rediscover or go a little bit deeper in spending time with God. Pray first. There's two weeks on the app. We even have workbooks if you'd rather look through it. To spend time praying and worshiping and reading the scriptures. Or maybe it's in this season that you decide, I'm going to start coming every single week, and I'm going to join a group and spend time with God. We have new groups starting, Alpha, for those who are spiritually searching or maybe new to faith and want to build the basics, or maybe you don't understand the Bible or you want to understand it better, God's redemptive story. Both of those you can find out more at the Connect Spot. But God is inviting you into something more. See, to surrender is to live how he calls us to live. God is saying, I know it's best for you. Trust me. I don't want you to hurt yourself. I don't want you to hurt those you love. Learn what it means to flourish. And for some of us, we have to learn this the hard way. That's what happened to David. Look what happens in the rest of the story, 2 Samuel 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, 
He grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. He killed it. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan looked David in the eyes and said, You are that man. See, this was an imaginary story. There was no poor man with a lamb he treated like a daughter. There was Uriah who had but one wife he loved. David, in that moment, confesses. Verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. Suddenly his eyes were open. He realizes the error of his ways. See, we all will make mistakes in our life. It's what we do when we make those mistakes that will determine the type of person we'll become. If we deny that we make mistakes, if we pretend like we never do anything wrong, we will never make progress. We'll never grow. One of the most beautiful psalms written by David is Psalm 51. You can go and read his confession. It is raw. It is emotional. Which, by the way, you and I can be that honest with God. He's big enough to handle our emotions, our fears. And so what we discover is that in order for us to live and flourish, we need to live in transparent, transformational community. We need Nathans in our life. We need to be willing when God calls us to be like Nathan in the lives of other people. We need to live in transparent, transformational community. Do you have prophets in your life? Do you have messengers of God, people that you let speak into your heart and life? If not, one of the best ways to find someone like that, someone that can truly get to know you and someone that you can get to know, it's as simple as joining a group. And it may not be that you start to share everything the first couple times you see them, because we have groups that are about serving, about healing, about belonging, about growing. But as you get to know the people in your group, you'll discover someone on the same wavelength, maybe in the same place in life. See, that was King David's saving grace. He had someone who cared enough about him to have the hard conversation, and David was willing to listen. See, here's the beautiful promise. 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive. And if God is willing to forgive us, that means we need to be willing to forgive ourselves. If God is willing to forgive us, then we need to be willing to forgive those that hurt us. See, in community, we are shaped to become more of who God created us to be. And here's what's amazing about David. As awful as this moment was in the scriptures, which, by the way, all the heroes of the scriptures have these awful moments. The story of the Bible is not about Perfect people who pulled off great things. It's about imperfect people that somehow God was still able to use to move forward his message and his kingdom. But because of his quickness to confess, 
because of his willingness to take his emotions and hand them over to God, freely sharing all of his heart and mind, he comes to be known as a man after God's own heart. That's how we know King David. So as we follow Jesus, character isn't the best that we can do, but rather God's best in and through us. You know, some of you know at the end of this last spring, I relapsed in some workaholism. I really kind of found that to be a struggle in 2007. Some of you know that story. It was in that season my wife told me she wasn't sure she wanted to be married to a pastor anymore, if this is what it means to be married to a pastor. I was working too many hours. I was neglecting my wife, my kids, my own health. And so I went through counseling and went through recovery and have found a lot of great victory in that for years. But this spring, I just got sucked into some of those same bad habits. So the sabbatical could not have come soon enough. And during the sabbatical, it's, it's such a unique experience. I wish all of us could get a sabbatical, by the way. Don't you? It, it is such a gift that Gateway gives that to us. But in the midst of that, one of my favorite things I started to do during the break was go on these long walks in my neighborhood and, and prayer walks. Usually when I kneel at the side of my bed to pray, I sleep at the side of my bed. And so for me to be praying while I'm driving or praying while I'm walking or praying while I'm journaling really helps me stay engaged. And so I'm on one of these walks, and, and I'm just praying. I'm just sharing my heart with God. Sometimes there might be some tears. There might be some anger. Sometimes I have my headphones, so it looks like I'm on the phone. But I'm praying, and, and sometimes I, I, on this particular walk, I was just walking, and I felt like I was supposed to go left. Well, there was no trail left. It was just a dried-up creek bed. And I'm wearing shorts, and I don't know what's poison ivy and poison oak, and usually my wife will tell me the whole time we're walking, what's what, you know, to help me avoid them. But I'm walking through this dry creek bed, and I discover this entire neighborhood I didn't know existed in my neighborhood, like multiple homes, beautiful homes. In fact, it was behind this, this gate that says private drive. I thought that was a gate to like the backyard of this one house, not the entry to all these homes. And so I'm just exploring, and I'm going down this trail, and I'm, I'm praying that God would reveal any blind spot, that there would be nothing that would be in the way of what he wants to do in me and through me. And then all of a sudden, I come right to the end of this trail, and I could see something out of the corner of my eye start moving at the top of the tree, and it was huge. My first thought was, it's a condor, which there are no condors in Texas, but I grew up with Condor Man as a hero, so I just assumed Condor. But it was an owl, a big owl. And then it flew toward me. Not like, like down swooping to pick me up. I'm not that small. But it was like, <laughs> like from one tree to the next, but it flew towards me. And it's looking at me, and I'm looking at him, looking at me. And then I am starting to get a little nervous. Why is he like mad dogging me? You know, I'm just <laughs> looking at this owl. And I don't have my phone. I, I went so much of the summer without my phone. It was so liberating. But it was also like, man, some of the best pictures I do not have. And that was one of them. And then it flew off. And I just immediately had this thought. Of course, an owl represents wisdom. And this verse comes crashing to my mind. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
See, part of what I was discovering is some of my workaholism is trying to please too many people and not necessarily asking God for his guidance, trying to accomplish too many things, trying to do too many things, not knowing when to say no. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, I've never really understood that phrase, fear of the Lord. It, it sounds like, like being afraid of him, like scared of God. In fact, there's this passage that never really made sense to me until this summer. It's Matthew 10. It says this. Jesus is talking. He says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. In fact, don't be afraid of people is what he's saying. Because they might be able to kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. Rather, he says, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Well, that sounds terrifying. (laughs) But then listen to what he says. This is how he describes the character of God. He says, don't be afraid of people. Instead, fear God. And then he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Or the hairs you used to have. And when you do it, by the end, you are greeted by all these people who love you. See, I want us to think of God's invitation as like inviting us on an adventure that ends with a surprise party. You can trust him. It may be hard what he's asking you to do, but on the other side of that is something so beautiful. When we fear God, he drives the darkness from our hearts, helps us become who we've longed to be. That's the life he invites us to. Let's pray together. So God, as we come to you with this song we're about to sing, may we not be scared of you, but may we draw closer to you. That we would not fear people, we would not fear disaster, but instead we would have a reverence and awesome respect for you. And you alone, and then we might not fear anything. God, drive the darkness from our hearts, from our minds, that we might experience the fullness of light, letting you guide us, not our feelings, not the rules, but you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's stand together. Allow this song to be what connects your heart.